Welcome to Ghost Wax, a Far and Tall Tales production. The following story may contain graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 42, Lorem. All right, we should be good to go. You're recording this? Just for my records. Trying to take notes on everything is distracting. I can't really listen to what you're saying, and you end up getting distracted trying to figure out what I'm writing down. Have you worked with a therapist before? Sure. The rules about disclosure are pretty similar. Obviously, imminent threat to others kind of depends on who the other is. If I think you're a risk to yourself or to the order, I have to report it, but I'll do everything I can to tell you first. Sound okay? Do I have a choice? No, not really, but neither do I, if that makes you feel any better. No, not really. Fair enough. Want to start with why you got sent to see me? Don't you know? Like, haven't you seen my file or whatever? Sure, but it's helpful to hear your version of what happened. Or we can stare at each other for another 55 minutes. Apparently, the Order has rules around when physical violence is acceptable. It was all well and good when I took out more of the feeders in a year than they'd managed in the last decade, but punch a coworker in the mess hall and suddenly it's potentially unstable and a threat to security. Shit. Are they going to kick me out? They can't. Please, I'll do whatever you want. Anger management or conflict resolution, anything. Hey, Kat, just tell me what happened. I was already in an awful mood. My first ride-along didn't exactly go well. Pretty sure Margot hates me. I just... I don't know. I refuse to believe that someone is too far gone to be saved. Or maybe just refused to believe that I'd fucked up again. So I was moping, worrying about what it meant for me, sitting by myself in the corner, just minding my own business, when he comes up all smiles and says, is anyone sitting here? I tried to ignore him, but he started talking about my sister. Your sister? Yes. My sister, Julie, who's sitting upstairs, probably staring at a wall because, oh, 
by the way, monsters are real. And oh, yeah, if you want to stay with your sister, you have to move halfway across the country and join some secret society that hunts them down. What did Charles say about her? He asked if my sister was the one who was going to be an observer. And I guess I looked confused because he was very excitedly explaining the process and how amazing it was that people could still be useful to the order even after they were gone. But that's not true. She's not gone. She's, I I don't know, trapped or lost, but... She is in there. I know she is. And they said they'd help me take care of her. They strongly implied they could help her. They definitely didn't say anything about drilling a fucking hole in her head. And he didn't get it. It was just, I don't know, totally clueless. Like, Of course that was the plan. How could I possibly object if she would be useful? So I hit him. I took some self-defense classes along with all the magic stuff I learned from Madge. I was spending a lot of time alone in dark bars and had to convince more than a few normal human creeps that I wasn't worth messing with. I really hit him hard. I think I broke his nose. Kat, what made you say yes when they asked you to move into the Arden? I didn't really have a choice. We, uh, me, Julie, and Madge, we were barely scraping by. I don't know how much longer I could keep taking care of Julie by myself. I'm sure you think that's selfish. I'm given the opportunity to protect humanity or whatever, and the most exciting part of it is that we can stop living off of ramen. Julie always looked out for me. Even though she was younger, she was the brave one. And the one fucking time she needed me to protect her, I wasn't there. I was so mad about stupid little things. I couldn't see what was really going on. So yeah, if I can help other people, then great. But I'm here because I fucked up and I need to make it up to my sister. Kat, what happened to Julie isn't your fault. Maybe. But the way it happened, that's my fault. She was in trouble, and I yelled at her. If she doesn't, she's not. If that fight is the last thing she remembers about me, do you think she's still there? I don't know. What are you going to tell them? What do you want me to tell them? I want to stay. I just want you to know that I'm not expecting anything from you. This is a waste of your time and mine, and it's fine if we just sit here and have some tea and listen to old records. 
I think there are several people above both our pay grades that would have something to say about that. No one is really getting paid, though, are they? A figure of speech, as you're well aware. Is that what you do? Tell me what I think and what I know? Is that what this is? I'd much prefer you tell me yourself. What would you like me to tell you? That I broke protocol willingly? That I delved into magical arts that are forbidden, even by our loose codes of ethics? Why those are forbidden? Because of horrible mistakes of the past and personal fear of my associates. Yes, I did. Guilty on all counts. I know that already. Tell me why. Because I'm old and tired, and I don't think all of these safeguards are appropriate any longer. You don't need to dance around it. We both know I can't be fully briefed on the details. But is it possible you're using that fact as a shield? Making it about the crafting of high magic and keeping of protocol and obeying safeguards instead of the more base human emotions at the root of it? This isn't the first time you've taken matters into your own hands. What about Madeline? What about her? I'll be more precise. What about Mr. Simmons, Madeline's neighbor? Yes. I want to continue being evasive. I really do. And to say that it was the encounter with that which consumes that shook me and caused a lapse of judgment, but that would not be the truth. The truth was I decided to hurt that man earlier in the taking of that testimony. It was a failing, a weakness. I, as much as anyone, believe we should not become involved in passing judgment on people or meeting out punishment for evil of a mundane nature. As tempting as that is, I just... I don't know. I... I wanted to. And I could. Isn't that sad? As old as I am, and trained as my heart is, and yet sometimes just being able to do something you want is a temptation that cannot be passed by. I don't know that I would call feeling empathy for a child sad. If only it was the empathy for the child, and not the indignation and fury at the man that drove me. She was gone, the damage done, nothing to protect. It was simple anger, superiority. I corrected him, like a dog, something I had no right to do. Are you trying to convince me or yourself? I am simply trying to be convincing. I don't suppose I would have done it if I really believed it was wrong at my core. Intellectually, ethically, I know I have no right to pass judgment and hand out a sentence. But if you're asking, do I regret it? Then no. I suppose I don't. Again, it sounds like a problem of human emotion, 
rather than one of rationality or regulations. You are on to something there, I think. I am certainly what you might call venerable. I've been a person longer than basically anyone else. Maybe it's finally starting to rub off on me. Charles, good to meet you. Have a seat. Um, thanks. Charlie's good. Right. Charlie. Is this about Kat? I already said I'm not mad. I get why she hit me. I also wanted to see how you were settling in, but we can start with Kat. You know I'm meeting with her as well, and we can set up a time for the three of us to talk, if that would be helpful. No, that's okay. I mean, unless Kat wants to. Like I said, I get it. You get why she hit you? Yeah, I put my foot in my mouth like I always do. I just get overexcited. My mouth gets ahead of my brain. It happens to all of us, but the things you said, it it sounds like you really believe them. I mean, yeah. I didn't mean to hurt Kat's feelings or make her sad or whatever, but it did make sense. Couldn't her sister become a powerful tool against the kind of thing that did that to her? Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person who sees how amazing this place is. Like I'm the only person who wants to be here. We fight monsters, save people. Isn't that worth sacrifices? But I get it. She's her family, not like an asset. I really get tunnel vision. It was insensitive. What do you mean by sacrifices? I had a life. I had a big, bright future all laid out ahead of me. And instead, I've spent a year hiding in this haunted hotel, cowering, waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I just have to hold out hope that it can all be worth it. That the pain I suffer and that the other Order members have suffered will, I don't know, pay off somehow. I just can't let myself believe that these horrible things can happen and no positive outcomes can be made of them. Otherwise, what the hell is the point of all this shit I'm wading through? There has to be some way to spin it. I admire your positivity, and you're right. A great deal of good can come from pain. But that doesn't mean that it isn't painful, or that you're not allowed to feel it. I sit up at night terrified that someone's going to whisper in my ear, it was all for nothing. I'm so glad we're finally getting a chance to talk. Yeah, it's been a long year. I can't imagine what a jarring transition it's been. Well, my life was weird before, but yeah, I'd never been kidnapped. To have someone completely take your power and agency like that, to threaten your life, it must have been extremely traumatic. I mean, I... I don't have a sterling track record of personal agency. What do you mean? Oh, just, um, my parents were very controlling, and then this thing happened in high school, and after that the order fined me and kind of put me on ice. There was all this stuff I wasn't allowed to do, and then... Well, Von Sid calls, and it's like, okay, you've been called up. This is your life now. That's a lot of other people pulling the strings. <laughs> That's funny. 
What is? Pulling the strings. I don't... I'm not sure what you mean. Oh, wow, sorry. Uh, just a coincidence, I guess. I I thought you knew about the, uh, well, the incident specifics and were making uh, like a play on words. Oh, no, just a turn of phrase. That's funny. The specifics aren't in your file, or at least not in the one they let me see, but... Maybe we should talk about that if you want to. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I guess that's where all this started. The beginning isn't a terrible place to begin. (laughs) Yeah, um, okay, so, well, uh, wow, I've been taking ghost wax statements all year and I feel like I'm about to give one. I've actually been using the ghost wax recorder. It's a remarkable thing. You should be proud of it. But I'm not recording this session, I assure you. Really? Any specific reason? Certain members of the uh, order. Fonsid told me he saw you earlier. Wow. Um, can't imagine what that was like. I can't say anything about that, of course. Yeah, no, uh, of course. I'll, I'll just keep imagining... But, yes, certain members' classifications mean I'm not allowed to record for my notes or screening purposes. Well, um, aren't I important? You are, certainly. Shall we get back to that? Right, uh, yeah, so... All this happened when I was 13, and, well, then again when I was 16, I guess, I... Man think I'd be better at this after all the interviews you've done. I mean, dead people, honestly, it's easier. Fonsid just kind of pulls the stories out. Take your time. You're not performing. We're just talking. <sighs> okay. So, um, when I was 13, I was, a uh, well, supremely lonely, uh, I know that this is a condition of being young. The loneliness, you know, it starts in your body. You're a stranger to yourself, and so stranger to everyone, really. You can't know anyone because you're a different person every five minutes. But, okay, I know my parents are abusive. I I know that. They almost seem to, uh, I don't know, cultivate my loneliness. I became entombed in advanced programs and tutors and lessons. And I mean, I play like six instruments. Oh, wow. That's quite impressive. Sure. I mean, I hate it. I'll play from like behind a curtain maybe I can't I I can't stand people watching me but yeah they had these plans for me failure was not an option I was pushed into this for six months and then that for a year I actually liked piano for a minute but then I don't know they took 
they took the piano out of the house. I woke up and it was just gone because now it was violin. By the way, here's your violin. That must have been really hard, having decisions made for you like that. I hardly had time to think about it with all the programming, but I knew they had a kind of, I don't know, darkness in them. Their lives, their jobs, friends, none of it really penetrated. Just stuff skating along outside of their heart. Nothing ever sinking in. We would move as soon as I would get comfortable, and I knew better than to protest. Um, they never hit me, but they had really creative ways of punishing me. Well, one summer after we had moved to Kennebunkport, I, I refused to do my audio therapy at night. I just wanted to go to sleep without fucking Brahms and Desivolo and Wagner roaring in my head. And I was mad for us moving. I, I just made friends with some kids down the street, got invited to their ghost hunting club. For fuck's sake, I had no idea where Kennebunkport even was. Turns out it's in Maine. We didn't know anyone there. My parents... I mean, I've never been clear on what they do. Exactly. They say they're editors, so I guess books or publications, but I don't know, really. We don't really talk, because they would do shit like how they punished me for not doing audio therapy. I woke up to go to the bathroom one night after putting my headphones on, but not turning them on. I'm not even sure how they knew I hadn't listened like I was supposed to, but I went to the door, I tried to open it, and it wouldn't budge. The handle was freezing cold, and it was stuck. I couldn't get it open. It was such a weird thing, and as I'm yanking on the door, I realized that, I realized that they knew I hadn't listened to the music. And this was my punishment. It was just... So fucking weird, I... I had to pee out my window. The next day at breakfast, they didn't say anything. I almost asked, but... I was ten. Couldn't really engage with how supremely creepy and unkind that was. So, yeah, stuff like that. I'm so sorry. Abuse can take all kinds of shapes. I mean, I don't know. They're dead, so, like, can't, like, confront them. It's just a grave that'll never get filled in. But anyway, the first strange thing that happened to me when I was 13, I had this dream, this really vivid dream. It's honestly more vivid than my memories. 
It never happened, but it's clearer than anything I can remember about my real life. I'm at a carnival with my best friend. This boy. He's beautiful. Brown hair, brown eyes that kind of look out or maybe up at you. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't really explain it, but I can see him. His smile is so wide, and he has this little birthmark on his chin. Just a dark spot, so it just looks like a smudge. He knew everything about me, and I knew everything about him, and we went through life like an adventure. Pride its mysteries open, and we had gone to this carnival, just the two of us. We weren't supposed to, but we snuck off and used money we had saved up. We were on the swing ride, and we were up in the air. Our feet were dangling, and the whole world just rushed past us, and... I mean, I've never... I've never been that happy in real life. And then I felt this warmth on the back of my hand, and it, it was his hand. He'd put his hand on mine. I looked... I looked over shocked, and his eyes darted away from mine, and he started to take his hand away, but I... I grabbed it, and I squeezed it, and... I, I don't know why, but in the dream I had this terrible fear that someone would pull me away from him. Even though we were up in the air, spinning around, and the world was below us in just colors. And I woke up with this hideous sense of loss. All the air just kicked out of my lungs and made this awful sound this guttural like grief sound and this thing wasn't real and by being real had just broken me because of how much I wanted it to be real and I um well it, uh here. Yeah. Thanks. Um, it's strange to be heartbroken because something didn't happen. Not at all. You wanted to be loved. To love. You had it for a moment and then it was gone. How else could you react to that kind of heartbreak? Well, um... So I had something in my hand. I'm sorry? The hand that he'd been holding. When I woke up, I had something in it, and... It wasn't anything I'd ever seen before. It was this round metal... I don't know, parts of it seemed hollow. It had these carvings on it, or maybe in it, I... I, I couldn't describe it. I wish I had a picture. You can't really imagine it. Its, it's shape was impossible. Like, 
I don't know, like an Escher thing. I tried taking pictures, but they never came out, and I don't have it anymore. The, uh... Well, the order took it when the incident at school happened. I... I did hear Master Brecken call it, um... Melitolith? Melatilith? I don't know. Um... No research I've done has produced any answers on that. Ooh, well, you've met Brecken. Oh, yeah, he, uh, he cleaned up the mess that my machine made. The machine? Yeah, this, this thing I woke up holding, I eventually built it into something, and... Yeah, it, um... <gasps> fuck, sorry, my phone... Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I need to... Okay, I understand. Crisis after crisis. We need to talk more, Luca. This kind of pain isn't something to keep inside, and it isn't something for you to deal with alone. Turns the heart to stone. Yeah. That's something he said. Who said? Oh, fuck. I, sorry, I gotta... Yeah, okay. Soon? Yeah. Um, soon. All right, Philippa, we're all set. It's nice to officially meet you. I've seen you around the Ardent, but we haven't had a chance to talk yet. A mandated therapy session is certainly one way to have an introduction. I know, but I'm still glad for the opportunity to check in. I hear the work you do has become vital to Von Sid, but the world of the Order is still new to you. I'm curious to hear how you feel your life has changed since you accepted your role with us as a consultant. <laughs> well, let me think. Over the past year, I was murdered, resurrected, thrown into a world of horrors and bureaucracy, increasingly able to see and interact with spirits, attacked in my home again, my best friend was kidnapped by a deranged taxidermist, found out that most of the ardent, including said friend, blame me for the death of one of their own, and apparently there's such thing as a plague of nightmares, and I can never eat popcorn again. I have to admit... My life does feel a bit different. Why can't you eat popcorn? Once you've seen two mummified corpses crammed into a popcorn machine, it kind of loses its appeal. That's fair. Working for the Order does make a normal life difficult. More like impossible. Which is why most recruits choose to devote their lives wholly to the cause, as opposed to balancing it with their previous life. I worked hard to get my business off the ground. I'm proud of it, and don't want to give it up just because some ancient mystical organization says so. Besides, I like to keep busy. What about when you can't be there? What do you mean? Like earlier this year, when you moved into the Ardent for a few weeks, after the cipher manifested in your shop. How did you explain to people where you were? I didn't. Most of my clients are by appointment only, so I just stopped taking them. 
No one even noticed, really. Your family didn't ask what you were up to? I mean, I don't have siblings, and my relationship with my parents... It's complicated. In what way? They separated right before I went off to college, which, great. They were miserable together, so no problem there. But they both kind of started their own lives after that, so I did the same. They never understood me, and to be honest, the love I feel for them is, I guess, obligatory? What about friends? Outside the Arden, that is. Or romantic partners? Most of the friends I used to be close to are busy with their own growing families and careers. And it turns out a lot of people think opening an occult shop was a poor life decision. Who knew? As for romantic partners, well, it's hard to find suitable topics of conversation. How so? I can't talk to normies about what goes on here. Or my abilities. That puts my options at real but pretending to be fake occult shop. Or dogs, I guess. I can't let anyone know the real me. You mentioned a best friend who was kidnapped. I assume you were talking about Luca? Yeah. Luca was one of the first people I met in the Order. Hell, he was in the room when I was revived. He helped answer a lot of my questions when I first came on board, and we started hanging out. We became friends, I thought. It was a relief to finally have someone I didn't have to hide my weirdness from, who just got it. It was nice while it lasted. Why do you think you're not friends anymore? Because of what happened with Mayberry. You said before, you think he blames you for that? I know he does. He told me so. Right before, well, before, Mayberry asked me to do a reading for her. She said she wanted to know about the person she was seeing, and turns out there was more to it than that. And I blew her off. It just... Ever since people here found out what I can do, I get ardent workers asking for a personal reading at least twice a week. And always for the stupidest shit. Will my cat be okay while I'm out on assignment? Does Jarvis and Alchemy think I'm cute? Or my personal favorite, where did I leave my notebook? No, not that one. The one with the purple binding. Most of the time it's not even work-related. I felt taken advantage of, so... When Mayberry asked if I could do a quick relationship reading, I put my foot down. I just... I just walked away. And then... There was no way for you to know what Mayberry was going through. Or what she had planned. See? But there is a way for me to know. If I'd just done the stupid reading, I could have told her to get the fuck out of that relationship. I could have alerted Owen and stopped what happened at the field office. We might have even been able to stop him. But I didn't. I was only thinking about my own feelings, and I left that woman standing in the hallway without a backward glance. When she needed me. What happened with Mayberry is not your fault. 
people are shocked and upset by what happened. And if they're taking their anger out on you, that's unfair. It doesn't matter if it's fair or not. It's how it is. Can we talk about something else, please? Sure. Do you have something in mind? Anything but this. Okay. That's a gorgeous necklace. Thanks. I like it because it's sparkly and it covers the scar. You prefer to keep it hidden? I do. I don't care what other people think about it, but seeing it in the mirror, it's too much. It makes me think about that night and I start to spiral. The vile observer is a formidable creature. It's, it's understandable that the memory impacts you that way. It's more than that. It's dumb luck that Owen came to the shop and found me when he did. I was fresh enough to revive. When I think about that night, I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't shown up in time. Or worse, if he hadn't come at all. How long would my body have sat at that table with the bloody cards laid out in front of me before someone found me? Sure, some customers would have knocked on the door but they wouldn't think twice when I didn't answer. Who would have even cared enough to... <clears throat> Luca told me it wasn't his fault that I didn't have anyone else. And it's true. I can't connect with people outside the order because if I want them to like me and think I'm sane, I have to hide who I am. And within the order... I wonder if they just want to use me for my gift. Luca was right. I don't have anyone else. And now, with everything that's happened, I don't think I have anyone at all. My apologies. I could have sworn I turned that off. Check it. Premonition? Stalling? Fair enough. I... Oh, there's... There's a small situation. Pip, I'm so sorry, but I need to step out for... Oh, I'm not sure. Is everything okay? It's Kat's sister, Julie. She's having some kind of episode. Oh, no. Go. Go. I'll, I'll wait for you. Okay. Thank you. That's... Hope it's nothing serious. Yeah. Do what you gotta do. Um, I could use a break. Anyway. Honestly. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'll be back as soon as I can. Sure. <sighs> Fuck. Hmm? Hello? Hello? I... Hey. What the hell? Hey! I know the therapy is mandatory, but you don't have to lock me in. Hey, somebody open this. Finally, what the fuck was that? Oh, hello, Philippa. No. Yes, worth every penny I paid for you. Worth every bit. No, no. I slit your 
wrote so well, so tenderly. It was one of my cleanest cards. The game was done. You had won and received your prize, but you rejected it. Pip, that's not how you play. Help. Somebody help me, please. Oh, God. Fuck. Stay away from... I will help you, my star, my favorite. Take my hand, connect with me. Oh my God, no! Help! She doesn't want you, outsider. She must stay and finish the game. Help! Take my hand. Somebody, please. Shit. Or stay here in his. God, fucking damn it! Thank you for listening to Ghost Wax, a production of Far and Tall Tales. Find us at farandtalltales.squarespace.com. Ghost Wax is an independent podcast, so if you liked the show, please rate and review, and consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash farandtalltales. Also give a listen to our fantasy roleplay show, Could Have Been Heroes, for something completely different. Ghost Wax is written and directed by Robert Knudsen, Production and editing by Aaron Schoenrock. Our theme song is by Bo Hoover. This episode features Robert Knutson as Von Sid and the Vile Observer, Aaron Schoenrock as Luca and the Cipher, Mitchell Brooks as Charlie, Stephanie Olson as Pip, Gail Estelle as Cat, and Sarah Lineberry as Delia. <laughs>